so forth. But I want to go ahead and let's, let's get into the word. Amen. How about that? If you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And I'm going to continue on my, the series we've been on, on, on your position in him. And I've been really dealing with perspective and, and understanding that it's, if we don't have a right perspective, it's going to be hard to take our right position, right? If you don't see things. And, and you know, we, we need to see things from God's perspective, right? We need to come up to God's way of seeing us. Too often, even though we may have made Jesus the Lord of our life, we still look at our lives from us down here and God's up here instead of seeing ourselves in a position with him that we're seated with Christ. Amen? And so understanding this, that it's how we see things. In, uh, in Isaiah chapter 55, I brought this out last week. It said, let a wicked man forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So meaning let that person that's condemned or guilty stop going his direction and go a different direction. Why? Because then he goes on and he says, because my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. It doesn't mean that we can't have his thoughts or we don't know his ways. It just means we need to stop going and going after our ways and our thoughts so we can know his ways and his thoughts. Amen. Now, I want to pick this up here in Luke chapter 13. Let's see, verse 33. He says, nevertheless, I must continue on my way today and tomorrow and the day after that. I'm reading the Amplified. It says, for it will never do for a prophet to be destroyed away from Jerusalem. Let me read that again. Nevertheless, I must continue on my way today and tomorrow and the day after that. For it will never do for a prophet to be destroyed away from Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now, when he says Jerusalem here, he's talking about my people, right? Jerusalem is, re- is recognized as, as his city and it's recognized as his people, right? So at first he says, I must continue today and tomorrow and after that, for it will never do for a, for a prophet to be destroyed, to be destroyed away from Jerusalem. Why? Because the whole point that God would send a prophet would be to declare his heart. That would be the whole reason of why God would send a prophet to declare his message to his people, right? So the thing is, it's, what good would it do to kill a prophet away from Jerusalem? Because his whole point of coming would be to declare God's heart. That's what a prophet was all about. It was to declare his heart for his people. That's what he desired to do. So anytime you hear, hear a prophet speaking in the Old Testament, it was always the declaring what God desired to do for them, what God wanted to do for them. And so the next verse says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, or you say, my people, my people, you who continue to kill the prophets and to stone those who are sent to you. How often I had desired and yearned to gather your children together around me as a hen gathers her young under her wings, but you would not. Now think about this. Jesus saying, look, I got to keep going because I've got a message that I need to take to Jerusalem. Then he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why do you continue to kill the prophets? Because all I'm, wanting, all I'm desiring to do for you, all I'm wanting to do is to bring you to me. Christy, all he's saying, all I want to do, Christy, is bring you to me. All I want you to know is my heart. All I want you to know is, is I have a heart just like a hen would gather her chicks. As a mother hen would gather her chicks, I want to bring you to me. That's God's desire. That's God's heartbeat. That's what God always has desired to do. As we read in Isaiah 66 a moment ago, he, he comforts us just like a mother would comfort their children. 
his whole, his whole idea. He goes, I yearned, I desired and yearned to gather your children together around me as a hen gathers her young under her wings, but you would not. See, God, he desires to draw you to himself. He wants you to belong. You belong. There's something about a, a, a mother is there's this, the one that's operating in the way they should operate, there's just a sense of belonging that they bring. You know, no matter where I go and, and, and what I do, I know that Annette and I could go to 734 Canvas Backcourt, Salisbury, Marion, 21804, and there'll be a place of belonging for me. Why? Because that's where mama lives. We go to Louisiana, uh, Louisiana Avenue in Kingsville, Texas, and we would know that Angelica Barrera, there'd be a sense of belonging. That we would know that we would have this sense of belonging. And that's what, that's what when he's the prophesying here and what Jesus is saying, look, I, you know, why would you kill the prophets? Because everything I wanted them to declare to you is so you would know that I want to gather you to myself. Yes. That I have this heart after you, that there's this sense of belonging. You know, if you look at the, the world today, there's so many different things and so many different avenues. People are trying to find a sense of belonging. You know, there's a, the, a psychologist by the last name, I think it was Andrew Maslow. He, from the early 1900s, that, that he was a scientist and a psychologist. And he discovered that the, one of the five main needs of every human being, the one of those five is a sense of belonging. Every human needs this. Every person on the face of the world needs this. But it's sad to say not everyone finds it. And because of that, the sense of belonging, what, what happens if you, the sense of belonging is not being met from that parental standpoint? What happens is it, it, causes, gangs to, it causes gangs to form. It causes terrorism to take place. It, cause, it causes substance abuse. It causes destructive tendencies. It causes suicide. All because of this need. There's so many special interest groups throughout the world trying to fill a void that only God can fill. This sense of belonging. All of us have it. It's, it's ingrained in us that this sense of belonging. But what is the belonging all about? It's, it's what, what Jesus said. I've just longed to have you, to gather you to myself. This sense of belonging. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. So we're dealing with our position in him. And so when you understand your true identity, you have a sense of belonging. When you truly know who you are, you have a sense of belonging. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a dedicated nation. Own purchase special people that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and the perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now think about this. For a next, the next verse says, once you were not a people at all, but now you're God's people. Once you were unpitied, but now you're pitied and you have received mercy. Now let's look at that phrase for a moment. Once you were not a people. But now you're God's people. 
See, there was a time when you, you, you didn't have the right identity. There was a time when you didn't have a sense of belonging. When you were not a people. Now, now it's interesting this scripture here in verse 10 here says once you were not a people, but now you are a people. This is not the first time in scripture that this is written. The first time this is written in scripture is by a prophet. Now, now what do we just talk about in Luke? What does a prophet do? They declare God's heart. They declare what God wants. They declare what God desires to do. And that's what Jesus was saying. I've got to go to Jerusalem because my whole desire was to gather you to myself. So if we look at this, this was first from a prophet written in Hosea. 800 years. Here, Peter declares something that was written 800 years before. 750 years before Jesus ever said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. This prophet Hosea. Man, such an amazing story. The story of Hosea. Man, it, it is such, it such, gives us such a description of God desiring and drawing us to himself. How many people are familiar with the story of Hosea? Oh, I'm glad some of you don't know. Because th- this story is one of the most amazing stories in Scripture. Now, you got to get a picture of this. Hosea, whose name means salvation. Hosea is a prophet. Now, you got to understand about prophets in the Old Testament. They weren't some guy with a long beard living in a shack somewhere that, that everyone was scared of. No, a prophet actually lived in the king's palaces. They lived in the king's courts. Why? Because the kings would look to them to receive direction on how they should rule. So you hear I got this guy, Hosea, and name meaning salvation. And he is, he's spending time with God and God speaks to him and tells, tells him, I want you to go marry a prostitute. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's what your pastor tell you. Hey, go marry the prostitute down the street. <laughs> that's, that's not usually the advice we give people, you know. Uh, You know, and so here, Hosea, name name meaning salvation, he represents God. And he goes and he goes out in the street and he finds this woman and her name is Gomer. Not Gomer Pyle. This is another Gomer. And her name means one who has come to her end. And so it's interesting, Hosea meaning salvation and Gomer, one coming to his end. Here, salvation has brought deliverance to the one that came to her end. But if you think about the story, he goes and he gets this woman, brings her to, to his own house. He has, he has a first child with her. He has a second child with her. And he has a third child. And most scholars believe something happened between the time of the, third child, the second child and the third child. They said, because when he na- went to name that child, God told him to name it, not my people. So they're believing this, this lady, Gomer, that used to be a prostitute, eventually over a period of time started going back and dabbling in things that she shouldn't have been dabbling in. You see, we don't know, we don't necessarily know all of Gomer's thoughts, but we know eventually those thoughts led her away from the place of her salvation. It led her from a place from where she belonged. It led her a place from where her peace was. And if you, and if you look at the story, you know, things, things progress. So we see, we see Hosea and Gomer, but also through the whole story, 
through the, the 13, 14, cha- 14 chapters, we're seeing a parallel between God and God's people. And because what happened with God's people during this whole time is, man, they were prosperous. Things were going great. They had no problems. But all of a sudden, they started worshiping other things. They started serving other things. They started going out to other things. They tried to all of a sudden start purchasing success. They tried to drink their success. All of a sudden, now the priests were doing horrible things in the temple. Horrible things. I don't have time to go in and tell you what they were doing, but you'd be like, what? (laughs) I mean, things that don't necessarily aren't happening today. I mean, just things that were beyond your comprehension, the priests were doing in the temple. And they started making uh, gods of of wood, of, of, of stone, of gold, and all these different things. And it said that in, 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 I think it's in Hosea four, he said, and he was talking to them and he says, he says, wine, it says whoredom, which just means lust, things that you're pursuing wine and new wine, take away the heart. So people ask me, well, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? Well, this scripture says it takes away your heart. So what, what, what he was saying, he says, you know, these things, the things that you're pursuing in the natural, they take away the heart. What does that mean? They take away your identity. You're pursuing all these natural things, whether it's relationships, whether it's substances, whatever the case might be, false gods, false religions. Well, eventually what happens, it takes away your true identity. Now, there's a lot I could say in, in, in as we go, going through this story. But you need to understand that Gomer eventually left Hosea. And she gets bought by someone else. Man, what an amazing story, man. And God speaks to Hosea. And I want to read, read you exactly what it says here in the New King James. In Hosea 3, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans, so I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one half homers of barley. And I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot. Neither shall you have any man. So too, I'll be towards you. Think about this. This woman that he married left him and was now, now purchased by another. But he says, go and love her. Just as I love God's just as I love my people. And it says that Hosea brought her and it said, you know what? You don't, you don't need to play the harlot anymore. You don't have to be with strange men any, anymore. You know what? He even said, I'm not even going to be that way towards you. Just think that he came to buy back something that was already his. They were already married, but he came and, and purchased something that was already his. See, every man in the past would buy her to take something from her. Took more of her soul, more of her self-esteem, more of her peace, more of her dignity, more of her identity. Hosea bought her to restore her and to set her free. Other men bought her to conquer her, but Hosea bought her to cure her. Everyone else tried to take her identity, but Hosea declared he'd restore it. You see, position is all about your identity. It's how you see yourself. 
And you need to see yourself as his child. You need to see yourself as someone that he's already redeemed. Remember last week we said he redeemed you so you could be reconciled, so you could have access, so you could be seated. Let's go to Hosea chapter 11. Because I need you to see this. Remember, a prophet declares God's will, God's heart, right? Hosea chapter 11, verse 11. It says, when Israel was a child, then I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and I called my son out of Egypt. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. So I loved Israel and I called my son out of Egypt. Remember, a prophet does what? They declare God's heart, right? They declare what God desires to do. That's why Jesus said, why do you kill the prophets? And why do you stone those that have been sent? Because my whole desire is to get you to be drawn to me. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 14. And having risen, he took the child and his mother by night and withdrew to Egypt and remained there until Herod's death. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt. Have I called my son? So here, the person writing Matthew here is now prophesying what Hosea prophesied and said, what I love them. And I called my son out of Egypt. What did Peter declare something from Hosea? Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Let's go to John chapter one. It's teaching for just a bit here. John chapter one. Thank you, Father. In Hebrews chapter two, verse 10, the writer says, this was an act willing, an act fitting that the son could restore many sons, restore many sons. So, so in that scripture in Hebrews chapter 11, it said it was a fitting act that Jesus did. So what? So he could restore many sons. See though, everything might call my son out of Egypt. What was the purpose for? So he could now call you a son. See, he called them out of Egypt so you could be called a son. Let's look here at John chapter one, verse six. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. So what does a prophet do? They declare God's heart. What was John the Baptist? He was, he was a a prophet. And so what is he declaring? He was to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. Let's go down to verse, verse 11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him to them, gave he the power to become sons of God, even to them that believed on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of the will of God. What does, what does that mean? But as many as received him to them, he gave power to become sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Do you believe on his name this morning? Do you believe on his name this morning? It says, if we believe on his name, then he has given us the power 
to become the sons of God. My son in Egypt. I called my son out of Egypt. Why? So we could believe on his name. And when we believed on his name, we would be sons of God. He would give us the power to become sons of God. You need to see that once we were not a people, but now we are a people, right? And he has shown us mercy. And because of mercy, we are now called sons and daughters of God. You see, our true identity is that we are sons of God. Our true identity is not still like Gomer. Our true identity is that we are sons. Romans chapter eight, verse 29, it says, who were predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. That we would be conformed to the image of of his son. So that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. So if he was a son. And I believe now I become a brother. I become one of the brethren. Amen. He gave them the power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. What makes you a son? Because here it says, it's not, it's not, it doesn't come by you're born into it which were not a blood, meaning you can't be born into this. It's not about whether you were born Jewish or you were born Gentile. It's not about how you were born. It doesn't matter what family you came from. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how many times you've, you've messed up and how many mistakes you've made because you did not become a son based on blood. Nor was it the will of the flesh. It doesn't matter how much you will in the flesh. You could never have done it on your own. You could have never have done it in yourself. There's, it doesn't matter how good you are in your flesh. You could never have become a son or a daughter of God in your own ability or your own strength. Amen. Nor of the will of man, but of God. It was the will of God. It was God's will. It was God's will that you and I be sons and daughters of God. That's our true identity. He called his son out of Egypt because God's will was that we'd be sons and daughters. See, that's why we have to take our position in him. Because when you take your position in him, you step into who you really are. And you are a son and daughter of God. You are a son and daughter of God. See, you need to receive that. It says those that believe on his name, you need to believe and you didn't know that you are a son and daughter of God. You are his. See, you have a sense of belonging this morning, not based on how you were raised, not where you came from, but you have a sense of belonging because his spirit on the inside of you is bearing witness with with your spirit and is declaring that you are a son of God. And I'll show you scripture for that here in a moment. Those that believe on his name gave the power, the ability. The word power also means the right. This is my right. This is my, my right is to be a son of God. Don't let the enemy make you feel like an outcast. Don't make the enemy make, let you feel that you're a nobody. Don't make the, let the enemy put you in a box And say, you're no good, you're nothing, because you are a son and daughter of God. 
need to realize it's, it's, it's not how much you do in the natural that makes you a son or a daughter. It based on, do you believe what Jesus did? Do you believe what Jesus did? Let's go to Galatians chapter four. Thank you, father. Thank you for your word, father. We receive your word. Hallelujah. Yes, his desires. I just wanted to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks to myself. And that's God's heartbeat to, to just draw us to himself and give us this sense of belonging. Hallelujah. Galatians 4. Man, where? <laughs> so many things I could share. Let's start in verse 24. It says, so that the law served to us Jews as a trainer, our guardian, our guide to Christ, to lead us until Christ came that we might be justified, declared righteous, put in right standing with God by and through faith. So how are we made righteous? By faith. Right? We're made righteous by faith. How do you become a son? By believing on his name. By faith. Verse 25. But now that faith has come... We're no longer under a trainer, the guardian of our childhood. Now, this says, for in Christ Jesus, you were all sons of God. Our position in him. Verse 26 again says, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. You were all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Get this. You are now a child of God. And you've been baptized into Christ. And because of that, you have a new identity. And it is not based, like I said, Jew or Gentile. It's not based male or female. Is based knowing that you're in Christ Jesus. Don't let the world put a label on you to limit you. Allow God's word to place the standard on your life. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. Too often we live out of our old nature instead of who we are today. Instead of living as a son of God, we still live like we used to live because we've never really received the fact that, you know what? I don't have to live that way. I don't desire to live that way. Why? Because this is so much better. Let's go to chapter four, verse one. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors, governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage of the elements of this world. Meaning we were in bondage. We were bound up until this particular time. And I don't have time to go in this morning and talk about the law versus faith and, and so forth this morning. Because I need you. I want to get this point across about you belonging. Verse four says, but when the fullness of time come, meaning we used to be in bondage, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to do what redeemed them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. 
And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, you're no longer a servant, but you're a son. And if a son, you're an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Because of Christ Jesus, I no longer have to live as a slave bound to this world's way of doing things. I am now a son of God. Not going to be, not one day, not when I get to heaven. I'm a son of God right now. Right now, the moment I made Jesus the Lord of my life, I became a son. I became adopted into the beloved. I became accepted by him. We're sons and daughters of God. He redeemed me. I was under that curse. I was under that law. But remember the auction block last week? He bought me off that auction block. Man. Man. And because you're sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son. Man. And because you're sons... God has sent forth the spirit. What is spirit here? It means a presence or a power that changes. It's a life-giving presence. And because you're sons, God sent a life-giving presence of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that really, Abba, Father, means my father, my dear father. Let's go to Romans chapter, Romans 8. We've been adopted. We've been adopted. Thank you, Father. We have been adopted. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Romans 8. Our position in Him. Tell you, when we gain our true identity, it gives us a sense of belonging. Hallelujah. Verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Meaning you don't owe your flesh anything. Meaning your flesh doesn't have to control you. Your mind doesn't need to control you. Your body doesn't need to control you. Your cravings don't need to control you. I'm not a debtor to my flesh. I don't answer to my flesh anymore. Verse 13, for if you live after the flesh, you'll surely die. Meaning if I continue to go after those other things in the flesh, there's no fruit in it. It's not going to bring me any life. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Verse 14, for because for as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now get this, for if you have not received, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. You didn't receive a presence that led you back into bondage. You didn't exchange one bondage for another bondage. But you, what have you received? I've received the presence, the spirit of adoption. I received the life giving presence that has made me belong. I received a presence that made me belong. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Hallelujah. Adopted. Adopted. You got to get a hold and understand something when the apostle Paul talks about adoption. 
in our mindset, there can be some aspects of uh, a negative aspect to it somewhat. And some people growing up with, well, I was adopted mentality and, and it's negative as like, because at one point no one wanted them. But we have to understand this when, when Paul's writing, you have two different mindsets on how things are written in the New Testament. You had things written to the Jews and you had written th- things written to the nations or the Gentiles. And you had things written to today, Christians. So there's the three people that the scriptures are always talking to, the Jews, the Christians, and the nations. And so, so when, when James or Peter are writing along the lines of talking about birth and things like that, they don't use the word adoption because they're writing to Jews. Because Jews didn't have a, have a concept of adoption. They had a concept of birth, and they understood birth was a permanent thing. They understood that, 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 that you, you carry on your legacy and you carry on your heritage. And, and a lot of times, and the more children you had, consider was the more successful. Like when we go to Africa and you go to the Maasai and things like that, they don't measure success based on uh, necessarily how much money they have in the bank. They measure their success by how many wives they have and how many children they have and how many cows they have. So, so in a Jewish mindset, when you're talking about children, the more children have, that represented their, that represented their success. So, so there wasn't a whole lot of things dealing with adoption, so to speak. But from a nation standpoint and from a Gentile perspective about adoption, from Roman law, it's a whole other thing. Let me, read, let me read this to you. Now, this word adoption, it comes from a word, huthosia, and it's given the title of a son on someone that doesn't deserve it. It includes complete rights to inheritance. It gives you access to the family, a home, a name, and responsibilities. This is permanent placement by law and by decree. In Roman law, law childbirth, you, you have a child, you got what you got, whether you liked it or not. I mean, you, you couldn't pick what you had, right? I mean, if we all could, it doesn't happen. We just 50-50 chance, you know? But it says, and the natural born children under Roman law could be disowned. But yet under adoption law, Roman law, as a child, you were chosen and you were picked out for exactly who you were. And you could not be disowned. Adoption proved to be stronger position than birth. See, adoption was, I choose you because I want you. And the thing is, in Roman law, it's permanent. You cannot disown an adopted child. It's a covenant that you make with you, the child, and the nation. And so when God says adoption, think about that. Allow that to settle in. When God says adoption, and he calls you a son of God. See, we see ourselves as, as sons and daughters that fail and can can uh, be let go. But God says, I've adopted them. They're mine. I'm choosing them because I want them. I'm not choosing them what they do for me. And it's permanent. We've been adopted as sons. Say that with me. I belong. Because he loves me. Say, I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the most high God. He receives me. me. Mm. So when we're in Christ, our position in him, when we're in Christ, we're children of God. That's our position. That's my identity. 
I'm, I'm grateful for Paul and Virginia Bridges and the identity that they've given me in my life and the value that they've given me and the things that they've done. Amazing parents. Happy Mother's Day, Mom, if you're watching. But man, we've been accepted in the beloved. We've been adopted as sons. Thank you, Father. Go to Ephesians 2, and I'll close with this. Ephesians 2. Dr. Savell will be ministering next week. And the week after that, I'll say as the, as the Lord permits, but the Holy Spirit directs, but may, talk, may get in and talk about, as sons, what is our inheritance? Because it said if we're sons, then we're heirs. What are we heirs to? Amen. Ephesians 2, let me close with this. Ephesians 2, hallelujah, verse 12. says that at that time you were without Christ. You were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. And you had no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, remember our position in Christ, You who sometimes were far off were made near by the blood of Jesus or blood of Christ. For he is our peace. He is our peace. Say that with me. He is my peace. peace. He's perfecting me. me. Hallelujah. Then it says, who had made both one and had broken down the middle wall partition between us. Meaning there was this dividing wall between us and him. And he broke down this wall. Having abolished in the flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of, of two, one new man, so making peace, making one new man, one new man. This is a new identity. Remember, we are new creations. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Verse seven, and came and he preached peace to you, which were far off and to them that were near. Hallelujah. Meaning he preached peace. Not only to the Jews, but he preached peace to the Gentiles. That's what he's talking about. Those that were near and those that were far off. For through him, we both, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access. Say, I belong. belong. By one spirit under the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners. You're no longer strangers and foreigners. This word strangers means aliens, foreigners without family. So you're no longer a foreigner without family. The word foreigner means one with no home and no permanent dwelling. So he he says here, he goes, for through him, we both have access by one spirit to the father. Now, therefore, you're no longer someone without a a family and no longer you someone without a home. But what your fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. The Amplified says, therefore, you're no longer outsiders, exiles, migrants, aliens excluded from the rights of citizens. But you now share citizenship with the saints, God's own people, consecrated, set apart for himself. And you belong to God's own household. You belong to God's own household. You belong to God's own household. When Jesus died on the cross... He gave way for me to have a new identity that I could be a son of God. that You could be a daughter of God that we could belong to his family. 
Christian is not just a label I wear, but it's the empowerment upon my life to help me be what God's created me to be, to do what God's called me to do. And it's called me to be a part of his family. Think about it. I'm a son of God. Hallelujah. You've been adopted. You've been accepted in the beloved. My position is in Christ and that position is secure. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word today. And we thank you for the challenge that it brings into our life. We take our position. We raise up our sights and look higher. We see ourselves differently than we've ever seen ourselves before. That we don't see ourselves as failures, as mistakes, just getting by. We don't see ourselves as addicts or always had this or always do that. No, this morning we see ourselves as sons of God. Walking in the light of that sonship, walking in the light of that adoption, walking in the light of that, that, of being a fellow citizen with all the saints. Hallelujah. Thank you that you've drawn us into a family. Allow this revelation of being a son of God to equip us to strengthen our walk with you. Mm. Everyone with your heads bowed just for a moment. Father, for your goodness in this place, Father. If you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And say, Pastor Justin, I hear what you're saying. And man, I want to be this son. I want to receive this. I want to receive. I want to receive what you've received. I want to receive this understanding and this revelation. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you're seated. And I want to agree with you. I want to agree with you. Thank you, Father. Mm. Thank you, Father. If you're watching by way of internet and and you're with us this morning and those here, just repeat this after me. Father God, God, I receive Jesus. I I declare declare that he is is the firstborn firstborn among many brethren. brethren. He has made me a son. son. I am in Christ Christ. and he's called me his child. Thank you, Holy Spirit, Spirit. for bringing me me to understand this more and more more as I walk out out. my salvation. salvation. Thank you, Lord, Lord. for your work work. that you have begun begun. and the work work. that you're completing completing. in my life. In In Jesus' name, name. Amen. amen. Give him a shout of praise if you believe that this morning. Hallelujah. You, you are, look to your neighbor and say, I, I'm a, if you're a, if you're a, if you're a girl, lady, female, say, I'm a, look at your neighbor and say, I'm a daughter of God. If you're a male, say, I'm a son of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Look to your other side and say, do the same thing. Mm. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, you received that this morning. Man, thank you for allowing, allowing just me to teach this morning. And just, just cause it's God's heartbeat. Not, and the, I just woke up the other day and, and there's some things rolling around in my heart and I woke up and, and, and I had that scripture as a hen gathers her chicks and I was like, what does this have to do with anything? And I just start meditating and praying about it. And he says, because every prophet I sent was to declare this message that they belong to me. And if I could, if you could leave you with anything this morning is that understanding that you belong to God and that he loves you. Take a hold of that identity. Amen. And looking forward to just continuing to grow, grow in this as we continue to learn about what our true identity is.